Welcome to the Precious Little Sleep Podcast. I'm Elizabeth, and I'm joined today by Franny to talk to you about traveling with an infant. We're going to talk about, you know, um, airplane travel, short and long flights, maybe a little bit of car travel, um, some logistical things like what to pack for the airplane. It's going to be slightly different from what you pack when you're in a car. Um, and we're going to try to avoid talking about traveling with a toddler, which is actually quite different. And, and one of the things we were talking about was for me traveling between age zero to, you know, about mobile time, like nine months, almost a year was actually pretty easy. And it got really difficult starting at age one. And Franny had exactly the opposite experience. <laughs> yeah, for us. And again, you, yeah, this is what Elizabeth and I were talking about before the call that I think it depends a lot on the baby. Um, how easy or how hard it's going to be because now with my second infant, we're having the completely opposite experience um, traveling with her versus traveling with my first. So um, we have four kids between the two of us to talk about traveling and it's probably going to be four different experiences of how they do um, on airplanes and in cars. So we'll try to cover all of the various perspectives today. They each responded differently. That's definitely true. Yeah. Um, I did want to mention that we've we've got a podcast sponsor now, the Reverie Power Bed, which we'll tell you about a little bit later in the in the episode. Um, so some of the important issues I think to start with are since this is precious little sleep, we we put a lot of emphasis on a schedule and getting your baby on a schedule. And so picking a travel schedule is pretty important. I mean Back in December, when you were first making your travel plans for the summer, you were really excited about what was coming up and going on vacation. And now, you know, you're facing the fact that, oh, you're about to get on this airplane and do this thing with an infant that you maybe have mm-hmm. just gotten into a predictable routine. Um, and just expect that that routine is not going to necessarily adhere when you're on a travel, you know, when you're on travel. Um So, but like, let's say, let's start with, say, taking a short flight, right? Something that's an hour or two hours with an infant, with a small infant. What I would do was um, I'd say, okay, I'm going to, I had advice from other people. I was nursing at the time, but the same would be true if you were giving your baby a bottle that on takeoff, you nurse or you give a bottle, regardless of your feeding schedule, it's important that you give your baby something to suck on during takeoff and landing to help with their ears. So for me, nursing was this way. If it coincided with nap time, my baby would fall asleep nursing an hour or two on the plane would probably sleep in my arms the whole way. Easy peasy. No issue, right? I don't know, Franny, if you've had cinemas. <laughs> yeah, sounds good to me. I wish all flights were like that. It's um, This is a great timing for us to be recording this podcast because we just got back from um, traveling um, to Washington, D.C., which is about a 90-minute flight. Um, so I now definitely have two different experiences. So my younger daughter, we always found that... Um, we would try to schedule her flights around nap time, which is sort of laughable in retrospect, especially now with two kids. And that's that's one of the things that I think is my one of my first pieces of advice is that kids tend to travel better the earlier in the day. Um, so especially with a short flight, if you have a choice between a 10 a.m. flight and like a 6 p.m. flight, go for the 10 a.m. every single time because kids, babies, they are like us. They're a little bit more refreshed in the morning than they are in the evening. And there's a good chance that even if it's a non-flexible, cranky baby, um, they're going to do better earlier in the day versus when it's getting closer to bedtime and they're sort of, um, you know, overstimulated 
simulated and all that. So, um, you know, those short flights, I think it just depends on if I was successful at first, getting a flight that coincided with nap time. And second, even if it did, um, what's the baby's going to do what they're going to do. So we did actually schedule our flight this past weekend during my 10-month-old's nap time. And she just decided that there were too many fun things to look at. And I did nurse her during takeoff. And she was completely content to just sit and look around um, and did not sleep for the entire 90-minute flight. She did fine because she's great and flexible and um, not cranky. But, uh, you know, by the time we got in the car to drive to our destination, she had been, she was pushing five and a half hours of wake time. So you know, it's sort of the best laid plans. And that is true traveling with babies, I think, more than anything else that we can sort of do our best. But if it doesn't go your way, you got to just kind of roll with it. So but I would say here that that's an age difference. Because if you for me, my experience, you know, kind of zero to maybe six months, right? That nursing to sleep see, was yeah. not an issue. But yeah, even with my second who like your second is is super chill. I remember flights where closer to a year of age, you know, I, I'd nurse her and then she'd spend an hour, you know, just totally happy on the airplane. And I'd be kind of stressing out, you should be napping. This is your nap time, you know, or like you five and a half hours a week. Yeah. (laughs) But they're so kind of excited about the new situation. So there's a, an age at which they start to get more wakeful and want to engage in the surrounding environment. And and that's okay. I think for a short flight like that, I mean, if you're starting to get it into a longer flight and they've been awake for five hours, then things can start to go south pretty quickly. But I'm, I was curious. So she's been asleep now, or sorry, awake now for five and a half hours. And, um, and then what happens? You get into a car or something like that? Yeah. So this was sort of the funny thing. So we, um, we got in the car. I was like, okay, great. So we're going to get in the car and she's going to sleep the 45 minute drive from, you know, Dulles airport back to, back to the house. And of course, when do you think she fell asleep? I will give you one guess five minutes before we arrived. So, you know, and we're, this was a convertible car seat, not a, um, a bucket. So it's not like I could just pick her out and try to transfer into the house. So she fell, she falls asleep five minutes away from our destination in the car, five and a half hours of wake time. So I just said, okay, well, let me just get her out of the seat and see if I can put her back down for a nap once we're actually inside, put her in, you know, throw her in the pack and play and um, turn on the white noise and all that. And she was so exhausted, it actually worked. So we were able to, it wasn't a transfer. She woke up when I pulled her out of the car, but, um, you know, five minutes wasn't, enough to sort of deplete her sleep pressure. So uh, once I got her back in bed 15 minutes later and had all of my handy dandy mobile sleep tools available, then um, she did end up falling asleep in her, in her pack and play for a nap. So I think all was well, all was fine. It was a little later than I might've liked, but it worked out fine. This is, I think a really good point to make. If you, if, if our listeners have any take home here, it's that when you're traveling, it's so imperative to be flexible. And I could tell you any number of similar situations, you know, again, uh, getting past the six months closer to the one year time frame, traveling with my first baby where I'd say, okay, you know, I've timed this well, you know, we're going to nap on that first flight. Maybe it didn't happen. Or even before we took off, we're going to get one good nap in um, and then uh, get to the airport. Everything's going to be good. I, we were staying at a friend's house, for example, and just nap just didn't happen, you know, in the morning. And, and I was kind of freaking out. My friend was there and mm-hmm. he goes, 
oh my gosh, don't worry about it. He's going to fall asleep in the car on the way to the airport. And my baby had, at that point was not being <laughs> in the car at all. And I'm kind of cursing my friend, like, you don't know anything, you know? And lo and behold, he fell asleep in the car <laughs> on the airport, um, which kind of did. Stopped. Oh, good for him. So a 15 minute drive to the airport. And I didn't have that flexibility to, you know, extend his nap because we're now getting on an airplane. Um, so, you know, right. you, get, you run into these kind of stressful situations. But the thing is that just like with adults, you know, travel is this different reality for your kids, too. And so I think having some kind of sympathy there thinking, all right, we're going to depart from our schedule. And even though, you know, you want a well-rested and therefore well-behaved baby. Sometimes it's not going to happen and, and you have to just kind of roll with that. That's basically something that you're signing up for when you decide that you're going to travel with your kids. So, so one point that I wanted to make was that, um, you know, I, I'm just going to kind of estimate that up until age two, you're probably not making memories for your baby. So, when you decide to travel, you know, you're kind of just, you're deciding to travel for yourself. And I know plenty of people who basically said, when my kids were little, I did not go anywhere. And that's a totally fine decision. And it's also a fine decision to say, you know what, I really want to go to Hawaii for vacation because not like I'm saying this from personal experience, but I live in Alaska and it's in the middle of winter and I want to go to Hawaii because it's mm-hmm. there and that's okay. You know, bring mm-hmm. your baby with you. Um, that's fine. Or you want to visit family because family can't visit you do that. And so the point to this podcast really is to give you tips um, for more success in traveling um, that you want to do, you know, this is traveling that you want to do, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think Elizabeth, that's a great point. And just to add to that, we are sort of for the first time right now in our phase of our kids' lives, faced with the reality that all of the travel, we did a lot of travel. We've taken my older daughter on, I think, like four international trips so far in her four years, mm-hmm. and, which I don't know, for me, that's a lot. I know for other people, they've done a lot more. But, um, you know, and we're realizing, we came to the conclusion during our last trip that she's now old enough to have opinions mm-hmm. about what happens when we're on vacation. And that's, it's one of the opportunities that I think we really took for granted when she was an infant, the zero to two age that we're focusing on in today's podcast, that your six month old or even your, you know, 14 month old, they don't need a lot when they're on vacation. Like as long as you're getting them to sleep and you have, you know, a plastic cup for them, or maybe, you know, we used to like stack sugar packets when we were at restaurants, you know, they don't have, they don't have a lot of needs in terms of entertainment. And what, now that we're approaching the older ages, the four-year-old, you know, soon to be, she just turned four rather, like that's different. And she has her own set of needs and her own kind of input that she's going to require. And we have to take her needs into account a lot more now that she's older um, than we did when she was a baby. So there really is an opportunity there where, you know, it's not so much about making memories for them, but if you're somebody who likes to travel, do it when they're little, because once they're older, it's going to change the nature of those vacations. You're not going to, you know, it's, you're going to have to start to take their, um, their opinions into account once they have them. So just putting that out there too. It's the funny thing I think about parenting is that, you know, you have a baby, it's your only baby, and you're doing this thing that's difficult for you because you've never done it before. And other people have been through this before say, oh, you know, right. well, you can, they're little, this is the easy time. And you're 
like wanting to spit daggers into their eyes. <laughs> I know that's a weird way to phrase it, but um, because well, it's, it's true. I mean, and it, in retrospect, it's like that first vacation. Yeah, that first vacation we took with her, I was miserable. Like, I'm going to be totally honest. She was seven months old. I mean, I was still having, you know, my own postpartum stuff going on, too. But, like, I'm on my first vacation since having a baby, and I'm there to want to relax. And, like, the kid's getting up at five every day because she's seven months old. And that's what seven-month-olds do. They get up at five every day. And I'm like, this isn't a vacation if I have to get up at five in the morning. Like, this is terrible, you know. So there's totally that perspective of, like... You know, at the time it seemed horrible, but in retrospect, it was like, well, at least we were there. You know, at least we got to stay at this beautiful beach and like have these lovely dinners right on the, the ocean, even if I had to get up at five in the morning. So it's all it's all about perspective, right? And so, as as other people have said, you know, um, we've got this uh, Facebook page, kind of support group for the Precious Little Sleep website, and you know, plenty of people will make the same comment. It's just parenting in another place. That's what it is when you're on vacation. It, but it's a beautiful place. Right. I didn't give up traveling because I wanted to go to those beautiful places too. But it really is just parenting in another place. And you don't have all your stuff around you. And that can make it more challenging. Um, I want to talk about, let's say, um, yes. longer flights. Yes, um, totally. And then and maybe talking about uh, time zone changes as well. And then, and then let's talk about some of the stuff that you might want to bring with you when you're traveling. Um, okay, so for... In my experience, what worked really well um, is that if you, a longer flight usually consists of two legs, if not more, you know, one, one that's short and one that's long. And for me, what worked really well was that um, one of the naps invariably tends to be skipped if you're on a baby that's still on, with, with a baby that's still on three or two naps. Um, if you've got a day of travel ahead of you, if you're going to skip a nap, skip the one that's on the short flight because you can keep them entertained for something like an hour. But if you're on a long flight, it's really important to, for you as a parent to be able to get a break sometime in that flight. So I like to try to, because I kind of, I got that experience, you know, maybe it took me once or twice to learn this, but that, that, um, one of the naps is often going to get skipped if you've got a long day of traveling. And it was that something that you experienced as well? Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking back to the, the couple of t times that we did really big trips with my older when she was that age. We have yet to take my younger daughter on a long, like a big flight. Um, we'll be doing that a little later this year. But um, with my older daughter, the two flights that we would have to take to get to those destinations when we used to bring her down to the Caribbean and Central America were usually like two, three and a half hour flights. So they were both longer flights. And it was it was like, it was a full day of travel. I mean, we were out the door at 5.30 in the morning. So we were pulling her out of bed at 3 a.m. to get to the airport. And it was just kind of like a free-for-all. <laughs> you know, it was like whenever she was going to nap was when she was going to nap. And it was really just an exercise in complete complete loss of control. Um, you know, we didn't know well enough about trying to schedule flights in the morning. So our return flight left, you know, it was like a 2 p.m. departure with a layover at 7 p.m., going to a 9 p.m. second flight departure landing at midnight. And that was a, just a complete mess. So for us, it was just whenever we could get her to nap, chances were she was tired or overtired. And as long as we could keep her asleep was great. But with like an eight or a nine hour travel day, in my experience, it's, you know, we just had to do our best regardless of what time it was. Yeah. So, you know, we're in this funny situation. I live in Alaska 
And our flights out, the first leg is always to Seattle, which is three and a half hours. And then you're usually getting on another plane to somewhere. Mm. Our flights tend to be at about 6 a.m. or they're basically 11 p.m. Or we once, I let a friend convince me to take our 1.40 a.m. flight out, which you think, oh, your overnight flight, the kid's going to sleep the whole Oh God! You get to nap a little bit, and then you know you reset the next day. And it, I just um, that did not work for us. I've heard it does work for other people, but it did not. Work for us. <laughs> I have to. I can't, um, I can't do this podcast without mentioning my favorite memory of flying from Boston back to Fairbanks. I decided to do an overnight flight when my first was about six months old. And um, it left at 11 p.m. And I thought, I'm golden, you know. He had a, a pretty good nap on the um, in the car on the way to the airport, you know, an hour or so. I thought, we're good. We can stay up till 11, you know, I'll nurse him. He'll go right to sleep. I even got bumped first class, you know. So I thought, oh, this is so wonderful. And oh, wow. I did, you know, after You're the fancy. announcement. <laughs> dim the lights and all that kind of stuff. I nursed him. He fell asleep. And I thought, oh, this is exactly how I wanted it to go. And then um, they came around with the food service and I was really, really hungry. I took the tray table out, dropped it on his head. And he woke up screaming. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> of course. Oh God, that's horrible. Did he fall back asleep? Um, He was up for probably an hour after that, you know, and you know, those are the kinds of things like they happen. Like angry up or just sort of up and happy? Well, angry in the beginning because something just dinged him in the head at, you know, full velocity. And then, and then kind of like, oh, I had, you know, a five to 10 minute nap. I'm good to go. You know, that kind of overtired, insane um, sort of happy, <laughs> but like, but I don't know. I, he, I know as a parent, I always internalize this thing. I'm like, he's exhausted. He's falling apart. Luckily, the person sitting next to me had of course. kids. And he's they're miserable. all so sympathetic. You know, he's like, oh, he'll be fine. You know, and he was. He did yeah. end up falling asleep. But actually, yeah, you know, I, I think that I think it's actually a good point to make too. I, I don't know. If, I don't, hopefully, I'm not jumping around too much here, but you know, to keep in mind that first of all, travel—it's usually like a one-day experience, or maybe if you're going to the other side of the world, we're talking about two days. But to just try to keep the perspective that, again, and this is speaking as somebody who did not do this successfully, that like if we're going on vacation for ten days or nine days or whatever it is, the actual travel part of it is such a small proportion of that, and we tend to be so hyper-focused on it. You know, like oh my god, everyone on the airplane is going to hate us, and this is we're going to have missed naps, and she's going to be so cranky, and there's going to be screaming and it's like well yeah but maybe we're gonna have a day of that and then it's gonna be over and we're gonna be on vacation we're not vacation we're gonna be traveling with you know traveling and parenting um but to just try to keep the perspective that as as much as we can sort of plan and try to plan around naps and bring all of our tools and do these things even if everything goes wrong which sometimes it will um it's still just a day. It's still just a day. And there's only, you know, we just want to just keep it, keep it in mind that it's, it's okay. And like people, I agree with you, Elizabeth, to people on planes, most of the time I have been on planes, people have been really, really sympathetic. I did have one 
experience with my older daughter. Again, that flight that left at 9 p.m. and landed at midnight, she did cry the overtired, I need to go to bed cry for the first two hours of that three and a half hour flight. Those people were not so sympathetic, which I understand, but I never saw them again after that. <laughs> and it's fine. You know, we got home, we learned our lesson. We don't travel at night anymore with them. And like, it is what it is. So to just, you know, we just try to keep it in mind that what, even if everything goes wrong, it's probably only going to be a few hours of terribleness. And then We'll, we'll be back to yeah. the schedule. So I wanted to just make another couple points on um, how to make airplane travel a little easier, a few tips, and then we'll give our shout out to the Reverie Power Bed and then talk about, um, you know, getting to your destination and things you can do there. So one thing I wanted to say was, you know, I was lucky enough to get, um, to get upgraded to first class on that. That was the first overnight trip I'd done alone with a baby. And that worked okay. But I have to say, actually, for traveling with a baby, I prefer to be in coach if you've got two adults and a baby because the armrest goes up and you can just lay the baby across both of your laps when it's nap time. And there's actually more room for the baby, even if there isn't for you. Whereas in first class, you can't, you're stuck in that seat and it might recline for you, but that doesn't necessarily help your baby. Um, Some people I know really think it's a it's a great idea and it works for them to buy an extra seat and to put the car seat um for the baby when i mean extra seat because you know a baby age zero to two travels for free on your lap um we never did that but other people that we know say you know we just bought a seat for the baby brought their car seat and they slept great in their car seat because they're restrained in there they don't have anywhere to go so then they basically have no option but to fall asleep apparently um my kids never liked their car seat so i never wanted to do that plus you know we're always traveling on a budget so we just had them um on our lap and mm. and what i would do is i say you know for those early few months like i said i would nurse to sleep but if you if you bring a light blanket or something like a nursing cover you know you can cut that you can kind of drape between your shoulder and over the baby then it darkens their space a little bit and it blocks out all this distracting stuff that they want to be looking at. And for us, that was key on the airplane, just blocking out the distracting sights because the airplane itself, mm. once it's in the air, is a bit of a natural white noise machine. You know, there's just kind of this constant loud noise. So that worked in our favor. Um, <clears throat> mm -hmm. So I, I wanted to mention a few things that I think are really important to pack for an airplane. For us, a light blanket, like I said, was really important, um, you know, for kind of blocking out um, the sights. Um, and also, you know, you can put it on your baby once it falls asleep because um, some airplanes are cold and some airplanes are hot. Definitely diapers and wipes and plenty of them. And something like a light changing pad. But you were saying earlier, Franny, you know, when you were traveling with your baby that, you know, you, you stack sugar packets and you play with a plastic cup. I would not recommend packing a bunch of toys and books for an infant um, because there's plenty around you that you can use to entertain them. One of our go-to yes. things was just taking the airplane magazine and ripping out the pages and letting the baby crumple them up. That can entertain them for more than an hour. What are some of the other things that you packed for a flight? Hours. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I hate to have to bring this um, to bathroom talk, but I have to for a second. And I, if you're going to take a, a flight with a baby, just know that the pressure in the cabin as it increases, there is, in, at least in my experience, and again, I love doing this podcast with you, Elizabeth, because our experiences have been so different, that um, their um, tummies are going to get a little bit of pressure. And that means one thing, which is blowout. So prepare yourselves out in podcast world that there will be a blowout on your airplane. So plenty of diapers. I would recommend at least two changes of clothes if you can pack them in your carry-on. The last half of our first flight with my seven-month-old at the time, she was naked because we went through all three changes of clothes that I brought because every time I changed her diaper, there was another blowout and I ran out of clothes. So she was just sitting on that airplane with a diaper and nothing else on. Um, and that. doing that in an airplane bathroom is one of those adventures that I don't want to repeat. Yeah, thank you for mentioning <laughs> that. Because- so change of clothes for the baby, change of clothes for you, because the baby's on your lap when they have a blowout. You can imagine how that goes. So change of clothes for everybody and um, disinfecting wipes if you have them, hand sanitizer. You know, this is my the, the epidemiologist in me coming out now. Lots and lots of Purell. You have a poopy baby in an airplane bathroom. So like just imaginations run wild. Um, Yeah. As many like cleaning utensils and changes of clothes as you can muster, I think will help a lot. Right. And I was never afraid to change my baby actually in our seat, you know, and other people don't, you know, just waiting in line for the bathroom on the airplane. That's why the, the changing pad, you put it down on the seat, you change your baby, the person next to you may be grossed out, but whatever, you know, that's part of, your life with traveling with the baby. Um, and definitely yeah. I've been in your situation too, where my kid might've ended up getting on the airplane in their clothes and getting off the airplane in something that I was wearing kind of rubber banded to their body. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I think, I think the, um, the, the other essential items for us too is that we had the opposite experience where we always, at least on the long flights, we would buy a seat. Um, I did not want to spend eight or nine hours with a seven month old on my lap. So we got her a seat because she was at least familiar with her car seat and she was like a wiggly, easily distracted baby. And at least her car seat was familiar and she knew when she was in her car seat, she had to stay in it. And it, for napping, like we knew she would sleep as long as she was in that seat. So that was actually a really essential tool and it depends on budget and where you're going but once that car seat was in the seat and she was strapped in and she had at the time her passy and her lovey you know and duck at the time was her other you know like little stuffed animal we we would just look at her we would say all right she's locked and loaded like she's in her car seat she's got passy lovey and duck and then 15 minutes after the flight would take off if it was the right time she would she would be out so any sort of like comfort objects that will help your baby to feel familiarity with their environment. Um, If you have space for them, don't leave home without them because that's at least for us, the number one rule with travel was like bring those small mobile things that are going to help them feel comfortable. And even if it's as small as a passage, just make sure you have them on the plane. So, so baby can Okay. I'm going to want to mention two other things. Then I think we need to, let's, let's talk about uh, time changes after that. So one thing is that um, getting through the airport When your baby's little, I prefer something like a soft carrier, but just keep in mind that you're going to have to take your baby out of the carrier 
Often, if you go through um, security, you have to do that because there might be something metal on the carrier. When you get in the airplane before takeoff, they make you do that too because the baby's supposed to be on your lap with the seat belt, or you know, in your case, Franny in the car seat. But if your baby is sleeping in that soft carrier on your belly when you get in the airplane, just be prepared. They're going to make you take your baby out of that, which really sucks, but that's their rules. Um, and then I, as they got a little bit older, I really liked having a collapsible stroller and I am not really an advocate of the umbrella stroller for little kids. I, but I really like a good, um, kind of lightweight travel stroller that can fully recline. So if we don't get into this, get it to it in this episode, we will in another episode napping on the go and having a reclining stroller is really key. And if you have a long layover and put your kid in that reclining stroller and drape that light blanket over the edge of it to block out those exterior sights. And then, and then hopefully you can get a nap in there as well. Absolutely. The other thing that actually we have used, we've traveled with those collapsible umbrella strollers a couple of times, but the, um, the last really big trip that we took, we found this amazing sort of system. There's a product called, and I'm, you know, I'm going to plug it even though they're not a sponsor or anything, but I think it's called GoGo Wheels or GoGo Babies. And it's a set of wheels that you can actually attach to your car seat to make them roll like a piece of luggage. Like it has a handle that goes up and down, just like a rollerboard, just like a suitcase. And it's the most magical thing because you have your car, if you're traveling with your car seat, especially if your baby has their own seat, um, it becomes a two-in-one stroller and car seat. So you don't even need to bring the stroller with you, you know, either to your destination or into the airport. So we would take her out of the car, keep her in her car seat and plug these set of wheels right onto the car seat and then literally roll the baby through the airport like she was a piece of luggage, which people would sort of laugh as they were walking by. But she was totally happy because she's familiar with her car seat and we don't have to like carry the car seat on our backs and we don't have a stroller. You know, we don't have to carry a wiggly baby. We're just rolling her just like she's a piece of luggage, um, you know, through security and all that stuff. And then right onto the plane and the wheels, they come off, they go right into the overhead compartment. Um, and then you just stick them back on when the plane arrives at its destination. So there's a lot of different sort of tools out there to make the airport process easier. I totally support second, what Elizabeth said with the, the soft carriers. We used those this last weekend um, with my infant. Um, but the, the wheels for the car seat, if you have to bring a car seat are like, totally Kate really helped a lot. Um, I think we're at a great uh, spot here for, for a shout out to our sponsor, the Reverie Power Bed. So what this is, and um, I think this is a really interesting concept is it's really um, a base that works with your existing mattress. It fits to standard size, uh, you know, within the standard size bed frames. Um, and, and basically it's a, it's a way for you to adjust your mattress to any kind of comfortable position. So we did all this talk about traveling and it makes you think like, gosh, you're getting to your destination. You want a good night's sleep. Well, you probably won't have a reverie power bed waiting for you there, but it will be there when you get home. Um, and you'll be able to get some good sleep again after your exhausting vacation. Um, but we want to send our listeners to their website. We actually have a URL created specifically for the Precious Little Sleep podcast. It's at momsneedsleep.com backslash PLS. There's a Facebook page, facebook.com backslash reverie, and that's spelled R-E-V-E-R-I-E. 
and they have a Twitter and Instagram at Reverie Sleep. Um, this is, you know, Reverie, the uh, Reverie company basically designed this uh, frame for pregnant and new moms, you know, this exhausting time in your life. But here you've got this uh, tool that help you that can help you maximize your sleep and get the rest that you're able to get and be the most comfortable that you can be. So check them out um, at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or on our um, Precious Little Sleep uh, podcast site, momsneedsleep.com backslash PLS. Uh, so with that, Franny, I was thinking that maybe I wanted to actually follow up on what you said a minute ago about the the wheels on the go with the car seat, which there was something that we looked into too when, when the in, our infant was born. But we ended up not getting it because it seemed pricey to me at the time. And I ended up not missing it. But I've seen a lot of uh, tips lately on the Facebook page mm-hmm. of people showing, you know, oh, I got this for a long flight. I got this for a long flight. There are actually a lot of products out there right now for enhancing a baby's comfort on a really long flight. I would just say that if you do a lot of international travel, you might want to make investments like that. But if you're going to take one trip a year, maybe even two trips a year, you know, you might just want to think about whether you want to spend your $100 on this, you know, inflatable bed that can fit inside an airplane, or maybe you want to spend it on something that's going to make your trip a little bit more memorable. That's my opinion. And other people might (laughs) have different opinions. But I would say, you know, really think about how, how convenient or inconvenient a certain product is going to make your travel. And you know, kind of put it into the context of what Franny said earlier, this flight is going to mess up your life for base for a day, you know, a day you can roll with it and then you get to your destination and, and things should be easier. So I think maybe we could move on to, to time zone changes. And I wanted to start by saying, and, and hopefully Franny, in this case, you've had a similar experience that the process of traveling is so exhausting. <laughs> Everybody's basically operating on a sleep deficit that it actually becomes relatively easy to adjust to a new time zone. That's maybe one to three hours different. Has that been your experience? Yeah. I, you know, this is going to sound funny that um, we, I, especially because of my obsession with baby sleep, which is how I ended up on this podcast in the first place, but um, I have been scared to travel, to cross, traverse too many time zones. You being in Alaska, I think it's, you know, it's um, harder to avoid it. But for us, we have tended to do most of our travel just directly south. Um, So this is something that in particular, I don't have a ton of experience with because we've never ventured more than one or two time zones um, over, which, you know, the same rule sort of applies a daylight savings time shift. But the bigger time zone shifts for us, which be, would be something like going to Europe, going all the way um, across the Atlantic, five, six hour time zone shifts. We have yet to do that with our kids, mostly because I'm scared. <laughs> so any tips that you have on that, I'm all ears, but we, um, that's, that's one aspect of travel that we have not explored. Well, I have to confess that um, my sister used to live in Florida and she's the one that we visit most of the time. That's a four hour time difference. Then they moved to California, which is great because it basically shaved at least 10 10 hours off of our travel time. And it's only a one hour time difference. When my kids were 
little, I was so fixated on keeping them on a schedule that worked for us. And I thought with a one hour time difference, for sure, I can keep them on the home schedule. You know, it worked in our favor because her kids stayed up later and they're one hour later. But you know what? Regardless of what I did or where we went, my kids just put themselves on the new time zone. I, you know, you think I'm only traveling for a few days. I want to keep them on my home time zone. They just put themselves. Yeah. 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 That happens. And I think that plays into this whole circadian rhythm, which I actually think is one of the kind of important to me foundations of precious little sleep is that your body has a natural rhythm, you know, lots of light in the morning creates wakefulness making things dark in the evening kicks in your natural melatonin and you know produces a sleepy state so but i that makes everything sound really easy i should add here that we do have one admin on the uh, precious little sleep facebook page who lives in japan and she says I asked her a little bit about this. They do a 14 hour time difference trip. And for them, their general rule of thumb is that it takes a day to readjust per hour of time difference. So that can take up to two weeks, which is a lot, you know, but, um, but she adds that in her experience, the first three to four days are the absolute worst. Cause if you think about, you know, flipping your day and night, they were regularly up basically an hour in the middle of the night doing some kind of calm, gentle play. And then they, you know, put them back to sleep. Um, I make it sound easy. It's not easy when you're in the middle of it, but it takes a, a little bit of time. And and basically the key here is lots of sunlight. Okay. <laughs> Sunlight in the morning hours to reset the, the rhythm. Try eating meals at the time for the current time zone with snacks when, you know, they start getting hungry. Um, and then, and like kind of our theme here for the whole thing, setting your expectations low because it's going to be a slog. Um, and one other tip was that a super late bedtime. Um, try to aim for a late bedtime to kind of, I think, increase yeah. the sleep deficit. Franny, I think that, you know, we're at 40 minutes here. I think that we should uh, let our listeners uh, take a break here. <laughs> Lots of things, I think, to ingest, you know, when it comes to traveling. We, we talked a, really a lot about traveling. <laughs> um, so we're going to have a future podcast on what to do when you get to t- your destination in terms of napping on the go, in terms of getting your kid to sleep in a new environment, which can be challenging. Um, I would love to talk about just what do you do with the baby when you're on vacation? I mean, for me, that was, you know, that's what I would have loved for somebody to tell me, like, what's going to actually be happening? Because if you went to that first vacation saying, we're going to go on vacation, and it was different, we couldn't just go lay out in the beach, um, you know, for, for four hours or for three hours, because the baby had their own needs. So how do you deal with naps while, you know, while on vacation? How do you go to the beach? Or maybe you're a mountain person? How do you rent a cat? in the woods um, with a baby. Let's just talk about what are, what are the expectations for um, for how things are really going to be different and how can you help to still have a good time even though you're just parenting. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll talk a little bit about camping because we do quite a bit of camping with the kids. Um, so we'll wrap this up by saying, you know, thanks for joining us today on the Precious Little Sleep podcast, talking about airplane travel with babies. And thanks again to our podcast sponsor, Reverie Sleep, momsneedsleep.com backslash PLS. 
um, facebook.com backslash reverie and Twitter and Instagram at reverie sleep. Mm-hmm.